Glad you're here with us this morning. If you're a guest this morning, we'll let you know the service this morning is going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, normally, we just uh, open God's Word and just kind of share from it. We've been doing that for the last several months, uh, going through the book of Galatians. We just finished that up. But to this week, as we, uh, uh, as, as I thought ahead of what we could do, I, I thought about, you know, how can we open our minds to what God is doing in other places around the world? A couple of years ago at Great Oaks, we uh, began to ask ourselves, you know, God gives us... Um, uh, call to reach people. Uh, he says, first of all, we're to love God and love people. And that's, that's the first, ver- uh, first, uh, thing he tells us. And we talk about that all the time at Great Oaks, that God gives us his great commandment, loving God and loving people. Uh, but the issue is how do you go about doing that? And he, then he shares uh, another verse in Acts 1 8 where he says this. He says, you know, as you go about sharing with people, uh, you go about and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, and that's where we live. We don't live in Jerusalem, literally, but we live, and this is our Jerusalem here, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost or the ends of the earth. And, and it means that we're not just to be focused just on here, even though it begins here, we're to be focused beyond here as well. And so every, we began to ask ourselves as a church, how can we do that in a more strategic way? And so a couple of years ago, we started looking at a possibility of opening our, 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 our doors, our resources, our lives to a group of people called uh, uh, the Basque, a group of people who live in Spain. And, and for the last two summers, we've had uh, 10 to 12 to 15 students here uh, from the Basque region who've come, actually come here and allowed us to uh, uh, just to kind of get to know them. And we've had people in our church that have two families that have already gone over there to the Basque country and have been invited into homes. Uh, I know right now we have another uh, lady in our church, uh, Betty McCoy, who's actually over in Europe uh, with her with one of her kids who's just had a baby. And uh, while she's there, she's going to go visit the Basque country as well, been invited to come. So those opportunities, that was an opportunity for us to begin to reach some people in a place. But as a, as a leadership team and as, and as a church, we realize that's not the end of what we're to do. We're going to continue to minister to the Basque as well. But one of the things we wanted to do is ask, what is God's next step for us? And so uh, as we began to pray about it, uh, some opportunities opened. And one of those opportunities is something we're going to talk about this morning, what God is doing through another what we call unreached people group, which we'll tell you what that means in just a little while. But uh, right now, before I introduce uh, our, our uh, guest this morning, who's going to kind of share with us about some things that are going on uh, in Africa, uh, we want to uh, show you this uh, couple of minute video. So watch this right now. I'd like to introduce you this morning to Steve Nelson. Whoa, there we go. Okay. Steve is, uh, Steve Nelson is, uh, a, I don't know exactly what your title is, Steve. What is your title? I don't know what it is. Africa and Albania Regional Director. It keeps changing. That's why I never know because uh, I've known him in two or three different titles over the last few years. We're part of the nomination called that Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, a small denomination of 40-plus churches in the Midwest and spread. In the, and actually, we have one church in Maine and one church actually over in Idaho now. But uh, as part of that denomination, we have an international uh, missions group that works with uh, us. Hal Lehman, you've already inter- uh, known before because he came and shared with us about the Basque. And Steve's the other person that works with that group as well. And so this morning, I invited Steve to come and to share with us a little bit about this whole thing about... Uh, an opportunity that God has opened, a door that God has opened in Africa, of all places. And, uh, Steve, I first wanted to kind of share a little bit about uh, your background, maybe uh, where you come okay. from and what, why you're involved in this to start with. Uh, well, uh, my wife and I spent several years in, in working as missionaries. I was a builder, actually. Uh, started uh, building here in the, in the United States, always wanted to be a builder. And, and before 
God even called us to missions and then uh, had the opportunity to go to uh, Central Africa to the Congo as a builder and that led to other assignments and so we went back three different times with three different assignments uh, but spent some time with the uh, the Mennonite church in the Congo uh, in a variety of, of, of roles there uh, working with the International Center of Evangelism uh, was one of our tasks where we were developing a strategy to to plant churches among the pygmies who are very nomadic up in the rainforest of uh, of the Congo and uh, so that was so we spent ten years in the in the Congo and then uh, came back to the United States because of some health reasons and uh, ended up staying in the in the states now for quite a while kept going back and doing a variety of trips uh, in different parts of Africa taking work teams over. Uh, for a variety of reasons and things and some vision teams and some prayer teams. And, uh, then, and that eventually developed into when this new opportunity opened up for FEC, then they asked if I would, because my heart was in Africa, they asked if I would uh, consider leading this, this charge, uh, into a new people group that, uh, that has opened up for us. Uh, well, the part of our denomination, share a little bit about the history about what we've been doing. Uh, this is not something brand new about reaching yeah. people. What's uh, the background of some history to help people to understand why we're at where we are now? Yeah, the, the thing that is so exciting is that when we stop and look back at our history and we say, you know, what, what God has allowed us to be a part of, it's just amazing when you see that tiny gifts that we've had to offer to God and he has taken them and, and used them. Uh, this, is, this is the year 2011. Next year will be a hundred years ago that we sent our first missionaries to Africa. So 99 years ago, our first missionaries went by boat to an unreached people group in the center of Africa, in the Congo, a people group that they didn't know language, they didn't have any idea, they didn't have a clue what they were getting into. And today there are over 900 churches. When, when my wife and I left there in 1993, there were 600 churches. Now there are 900 churches planted There are over 250,000 believers spanning 11 different language groups in the Congo. And we look at that, and and each one of us that got to be some small part of that, we think how insignificant our contribution was. But you look at that, and you look at how God multiplied that. Uh, 60-some years ago, we sent our first missionaries as FEC to the Dominican Republic, to another area of unreached. And today, that is a thriving denomination there on its own, a national church there that is thriving and planting churches all over the Dominican Republic. Uh, 35 years ago, we got to send our first into another area in West Africa, Burkina Faso. And we sent our first missionaries to Burkina Faso. And now there are, in this last January, when I was in Mali, I went over to Burkina Faso to meet with the national church that's in Burkina Faso and the leadership. And I got to speak to the president of the, of the denomination there, the Evangelical Mennonite Church of Burkina Faso, asked me to share the vision for the Yalunka, what we're doing among the Yalunka in Mali. And I did that in his congregation. And when I sat down, he got up and he challenged his church. He said, 35 years ago, we were the unreached people group that they came to share the gospel with. And here we are now, 15 churches thriving and and planting more churches among their own peoples over five different language groups in Burkina Faso and that was just a that was a, a realization to me it was just I wasn't expecting him to say that and when he did that I thought 
look what God has done. This is an amazing thing. You know, we go over there and we don't know what we're doing. We don't know the language. We're, we're learning from scratch with this people group. And look what God has done. In 35 short years, look what God has done. And it's just an amazing thing. And the reason that Siaka, who is the president of the Evangelical Mennonite Church of Burkina Faso, the reason he challenged them that way is because he's saying, why? It, how could we not participate and come and help you plant a church among another unreached people group right in our backyard? You know, Mali, yeah, it's 800 miles from where they live, but it's still, you know, in Africa terms, it's, it's in their backyard. So You keep using the term exciting. unreached people group. Uh, Define that for folks a little bit, what that means, because that may be not something we normally talk about. Unreached people group is it just flows naturally for me because of my background and where and, and some people and today it's it's there are different terms even least reached people group is another good term to use that they're similar and there's different reasons for use for changing those two out a little bit different ways of describing that but let me just say this when I first went to Guinea by the way there's uh, there's a uh, there's a map we'll show you a map but there's a in the Yalunka people. I, I put that oval on the map there. That's West Africa. And I put that oval on there to show where the Yalunka people are located. So they, they, you got to realize that the Yalunka people were there long before those political boundaries were there dividing up the, what we call Noah's countries today. But the Yalunka people span from Sierra Leone there in the south all the way up through the center of Guinea there into Senegal and into the corner of Mali. And so when we first started among the Yalunka people, it was at an invitation from the missionary church who were working among the Yalunka down in Sierra Leone and just across the border into Guinea saying, come and help us, this people group, it's a large area and we need help to, to reach these people. And that's what got us started there in 2006 was our first trip out there. And so, and, and I drove through, out through the bush there uh, in Yalunka territory and one day we were driving through uh, through Yalunka land, and I realized that that day we had probably passed through a hundred villages, and every village had a mosque, and not one person in those villages knew Jesus Christ. That's an unreached people group. That's an area, and so that's what we mean: a, a whole people group who have yet to even understand. They they have their traditional. Religions they have, you know, that have been for generations have been carried out. We call it animism, where they worship the spirits, and, and they they it's it's actually more than worship. Rather than worship, it's more like they appease the spirits because they live in fear of the spirit world, and and they do. They don't understand yet. No one has told them. They know about God. They know that that there's a God that created the world. They know, actually know about the flood. They know about Abraham. You'll, you'll go into these African villages and they'll have children named Adam and Moses and things like that. You know, it just blows you away because just think of that. From the Tower of Babel, these people, that's what gave them their language. And they don't know that, but that's where their language came from. And here they are, generations, centuries later, people groups that still don't realize they know about God. But, and they know that they're separated from God, and they can feel it in their lives every day. They know that they live in a, in a, in a messed up world, you know, of sin. But they don't know that God has created a way, has provided a way for reconciliation. And that's what carrying the gospel, and even Islam doesn't do that for them. You know, so a couple hundred years ago, most of these places, they've, Islam has been introduced. But that doesn't give them reconciliation with God either. It, it 
you know, the very best it can possibly do is that if they're good enough, maybe God will look at them with favor when they die. And so we're bringing a message to them of reconciliation to the creator, the reason that they exist, you know, so it's. And, and that's been a change in mind shift over the years. You used to think about going to a country mm. and, and ministering to a country. But as you look at this map up here and you see it, it's the, those, those borders are kind of, and I understand that now better, those borders are kind of artificial in regard to yes. the people groups. There's more, there's probably, what, 50-plus countries in Africa? Yes. And yeah. how many people groups maybe? I don't know. Ooh. Thousand? Right. Oh, more than that. More yeah, than that. Even in Congo, there's 402. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So you see that there's a, there's a different, and people groups, some have their own languages, their own customs. Uh, very, And so you have to look at the, It's a people group instead of, and that's what I'm going to understand, instead of a country, you're looking at the people group you're trying to reach and if, if they're unreached as well. Well, you know, the thing you've been talking about a little bit here is the Yolanka. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really talked much about that. That's what we want to focus the rest of our time on today. But tell us a little bit about how this has worked. And, and who, tell us a little bit about the Yolanka people, first of all. You shared a little bit. They're, they're a tribal village people. They live in these, these places that are on the map. But what, are, what is a little bit about them that we need to know about as far yeah. as the people group? They're uh, peaceful people, pretty much. They're agronomists, so they, they grow their own food. Their existence is, is just what they can grow. Okay. Um, they have, they very much, every one of them knows that the, the, the original Yolunka man came from a, a village that they can point to and, and say in, in Naya, in Guinea, that's where we came from, that was where we originated. So even when you get up into Mali and Senegal, they all know that they are Yolunka because they came from Naya. And uh, the, the Yolunka man, who was the, the first uh, chief. And uh, so they know that, but they don't realize that that was from the Tower of Babel that they got there. And so we've had the opportunity to explain that a few different times and just see the surprise on their faces yeah. that we know about that. But the Yolunka people are, are also, they're, they're pretty much peaceful people, although they've been battered by other people groups. Because if you take, if you look at that map and take those borders off of it, <clears throat> then all you see are the nations, the real nations in their minds, the real nations are the language groups, you know. So they are a people group, and they, the Yolunka Nation. And so that makes more sense to them because that was around long before the political boundaries were, were put there. Okay. Uh, now, how did FEC become in? How did you become involved and FEC become involved with this people group? How did this all bring about, and how, how did God orchestrate that in a sense? Well, about 15 years ago, uh, as we were in the process and actually wrapping up the changeover from turning over all these different works where we had national churches established, turning them over to national leadership. FEC found, you know, we, we were sitting in, I was on the IM board at that time, and we are saying, okay, but we still, FEC has a heart for Africa. We've, it's a part of our generation, our DNA by now. And uh, so, you know, we know that there are many other people groups that need to hear the gospel. So we began to pray for God to show, to open a door and show us. And we explored many different doors and, and nothing just seemed right until Missionary Church invited us and said, we've, because of the wars in Sierra Leone, the war, the civil war in Sierra Leone, they had moved on up into Guinea and learning French and working among the Yolanka in Guinea. And they began to realize what an incredible task it was to try to reach all the Yolanka. And they said, hey, we know that, you know, we have great relationship with missionary church leadership. And they said, we know that you guys are, have interest, long history in Africa. Come and take a look at this and, and maybe come and help us with the Yolanka. 
And that was our first trip to Africa, to, into West Africa, to look at the Yalunka. So that was our intro to Yalunka. And as we looked at that, we wanted to see the whole. And that's when we began to realize how far and explore uh, all the information available and to discover that there are Yalunka all up in, through that mountain range that it's hard to see on that map, that that's a mountain range up through Guinea. And we also knew, though, that the New Tribes Mission, another mission agency, was working among the Yalunka way up in, in, Sierra, in Senegal. And uh, so we began to look at all that, and we, what we found out was nobody had targeted the Yalunka of Maui. So those political boundaries do affect us in a huge way, more than it does them. But for us to cross those borders, it's complicated. You know, now you, you, you were sharing just... with me last night. We had dinner last night. We were talking, and you shared how that, you know, they just travel amongst the borders. They don't care. They don't have to have a passport or anything like that because they're all their people. But when you and I were to go over there, we have to, every time we cross one of those borders, we have to actually go and make sure our passport stamped and stuff or we can get in big trouble, right? Even walking across the creek that divides the, the country one from another out in the middle of nowhere you, if you get caught in another village and you have it as an expatriate, you know, a, a foreigner, and you don't have your passport. So even if you're going to cross a border and there's no border post, first you have to go back and find a border post, get your passport stamp that gives you permission to cross that creek. So we've had that problem before. Sure, <laughs> sure. But they just walk back and forth across the borders easily because they're Yalunka. As long as they're in Yalunka land, doesn't matter whether they're in Senegal, Mali, or Guinea, or Sierra Leone. They can walk back and forth across those borders. It's, it's really kind of interesting. Okay. Um, I want you to share a little bit of the stories that you shared with, with you. I've heard a lot of wow. the stories, but some of the things, how God's opened some doors here and how, because one of the questions is, okay, there's, there's, you said over, um, you told me the numbers, I can't remember them, uh, so many people, people groups. groups in the world, and about half of those people groups we would consider unreached people groups. Mm-hmm. So there's probably over 3,000 unreached people groups in the world. Yes. Um, and we're, we're already working with one of those, the Basque, mm-hmm. uh, and the Yolanka. Why the Yolanka, and why now? Huh. Yeah. Do you have uh, Acts 17, 26 up there? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't have it up okay. there, but I, ha- I have it right here. So uh, <laughs> okay. at seventeen twenty six. Listen to this. This is, this is uh, Paul's words to another unreached people group many years ago when he happened to go through, pass through Greece. And on Mars Hill, and this was part of his speech. Listen to okay. these words. I have a, a whole passage, but I'll just read. I think 20, I don't have the verses here, but 26. I think 26 and oh, 27 okay. is that's how yeah, it is. that's it. Okay. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. And then verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Yeah. So I think it's, I, I truly believe with all my heart, that that verse is, it just tells God's heart that every people group, he, he has known the Yalunka from the very beginning, from the Tower of Babel days, and he knew when their time was. And we have nothing to do with that. But God, it's just through the things, the way that God has led us, no matter which people group it has been that we've been, whether it's in Dominican Republic or the Congo or where we were, God opens these doors and says, okay, it's, it's time for this people and, and we know that in history and through, through Scripture that the, the plan is and the, what will happen because we can read in Revelation that one of these days we will all be represented around the throne, all people groups. But God has to open those doors for us. And he has done that. He's just 
through this process, he has led us to the Yalunka people. Does that answer your question? Kind of, but tell some story. Uh, you t- share with us oh, some stories. Goodness. I know, I know. Well, that's just, <laughs> we, we got 15 minutes, so okay. you can go for it. Right. So uh, well, I the, think that's, the, to me, that was the powerful part of this whole thing is that yeah. what God has done and through the, some of the stories that have happened. Uh, how, you know, because when I first heard about this three, two or three years, a couple of years ago, it was basically we were focusing mostly on Guinea. Guinea. But now all of a sudden, when you come and talk to me, we were talking last night, all of a sudden I discovered something I didn't know. Now it's in Mali. But why yeah. Mali and why did that happen? And why does that people and what are some of the stories you told about how God has worked in some different things there? Well, one of the interesting things is as we were working together with and, and we are working together with Missionary Church in Guinea, it is just this nagging in inside of me that said, but if we're going to reach the Yalunka, we've got to reach all the Yalunka, and we've got to find out where they are. And when I, because from the very beginning, when I first realized that no mission agency, in fact, let me back up, the, the missionary church, World Partners, they're doing a great job in southern Guinea among the Yalunka. And, I'm, and as we're partnering with them and helping them, it was just nagging at me all the time the realization that nobody has targeted the Yalunka of Mali. And so it was became a goal of mine, and I discussed it with others and said, we've got to do an exploration trip up to Mali to find out, you know, if that's true. As far as we know, no other mission agency had targeted the, the Yalunka of Mali. And so this last January was that exploration trip. It took a while. We put it together. We went out there. And uh, the goal for going to Mali was to visit... Yalunka villages to go out through Mali into the unreached areas, the areas that we had no idea where we were, but to find Yalunka villages, to sit down with the chief of a village and the elders of the village, the village elders, and to share with them that we have God's plan for the world and that you are God's creation, but God has created a way. And if for you to be reconciled with the creator himself, and he wants that, and he's waiting for you to come to understand who he is and how you can have this relationship. And if you will invite us, we will come and teach you God's word. And so that was our goal. So we went out there to do that very thing, went out through areas I had never been through anything like this, drove through rivers. Five times we crossed rivers where the water was over the hood of the vehicle. We were driving a Land Rover. And uh, to get into these areas, there's no bridges, no road signs. And so we're headed specifically for... There's a, there's a village in that particular area, sort of right in the center of the area of, in Mali, called Falia. And we were trying to get to Falia because it's, uh, politically, it's the, like the county seat of that whole Yalunka region. So the government recognizes Falia and that village as being the sort of the center of where that represents the Yalunka land. And we were headed for Falia. And there's, there's no road signs. And they were doing some road construction through one, and we were following that road and uh, looked, trying to find the road that would lead off. And there was no road signs because of all the construction and grading and things in that. For this, the European Union is trying to put a road between Bamako and Dakar, a, a paved road. And so we were on that road, but we were kept watching for it. anyway. We took off on a path that looked like a pretty good path, but it let, wasn't a very good path for very long. And so we kept stopping in villages and saying, can we get, is this the road to Falia? And people, and we, anyway, long story short, we just got lost. Out in the middle of nowhere, absolutely middle of nowhere. Rocky terrain, dusty as could be, small paths. And sometimes we were just cutting through paths that had, had nothing but walkers on it, you know. So little trails that we're, and you're pushing these bushes and weeds and stuff aside going through these because, 
you know, from one village to the next village to ask for the next direction. So lost. And uh, so finally there was a, there was a vehicle coming on towards us, and, which is always a good sign, another vehicle. And so I, I put my arm out the window and flagged this vehicle down, and the driver of the vehicle could speak French. So I was talking to him, and I said, is this a road to follow? And he said, well, I don't know. That's not where I'm coming from. But he said, if you follow, stay on this road a, a little ways farther, he said, there's a broken down truck. Uh, on the side of the road and he's waiting for parts to repair his truck so he can keep going but he said he's a chauffeur that runs this territory out there and, and hauls people and goods and things and he'll be able to tell you how to get to Thalia so we keep driving we actually drove for two hours thinking where is this guy where is it but there weren't any other roads so you know it wasn't so we stayed on that road and finally we came around a bend in the road and here's a broken down old beat up pickup truck and the, the hood's up on the truck. He had the engine parts. The engine was all torn apart and laying in the sand. And he was waiting for his boss, the owner of the truck, to come back with a new block, engine block. And they were going to put it back together, put all the engine back together so that they could keep on their, on their trip. Now, when, when we got there and talked to them a bit, and I'll tell you more about that, but he had a handful of tools about this big in his toolbox. Everything hand tools, that was what he was rebuilding that engine with. Just a, a, an absolutely amazing thing. But we stopped and we asked these three. There were three boys. One was, we found out, was 27 years old, married and had a, had a child. Uh, the other two were younger guys, in, uh, mid-teens. And uh, they were uh, the team that was responsible for that vehicle. And uh, so we asked him how to get to Folly. So he gives us directions and tells us, if you go on down this way and so forth, you know. And he says, You'll, there's another village. And when you get to that village... He gave it. He said, "There's a fork in the road." And he told us which way to go. And then he said, "You'll get to a village, and from there you'll climb. You'll cross a r- another river, climb up into the mountains, and then you'll get up t- to to Folly. And so we started pulling away from him. And he says, "Oh, oh, stop, stop, stop!" He says, "You got something leaking out from under your vehicle." And I said, "Oh, we've, we're running the air conditioner, which couldn't keep up. It was 114 degrees that day out there in, in the <coughs> desert." And he says. Uh, and so I just started pulling away. And he says, no, no, no. And he hits the back window. He says, no, no, no. He says, stop, stop. So I stopped and, and uh, I thought, you know, doesn't he probably doesn't know what an air conditioner is. And so he, sa- I, he says, no, he says, it's not water. And he gets down on his knees and he reaches in under our, our engine. And he pulls his hand out and there's diesel fuel on his hand. And I said, uh-oh, guys, we're in trouble. <laughs> I said, that's not supposed to be. So we jump out, open the hood, and here our fuel pump is broken. It's just spraying diesel fuel all up underneath the hood of the, of the truck. And we are days travel from the city, from Bamako. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, are we ever stuck? And so I said, uh, God, what, what is, you know, what are we going to do? And so we got the vehicle off the road. He asked us if we had any glue with us. And I said, no. And he said, uh, so he sends his, his, the young boy over to his toolbox and he comes back over with a half a tube of Permatex gasket material that they were obviously going to use to put their engine back together. And he takes an old rag and he starts cleaning off our fuel pump and he cleans it all off bright and shiny, looking, looking great. And he takes his half tube of Permatex and starts squirting it on his finger, putting it over the crack on the, on the fuel pump head. And he just coats it good and just makes a big glob all over it. And I'm standing there thinking, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> Permatex doesn't work that way. You know, it's, it's a gasket material. 
But And I thought, boy, as soon as we start the engine back up, it's going to spray. And Permatex takes quite a while to dry, if you know anything about that. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to work. But I had, what could I do? I had nothing else to offer, no other solution. And uh, so he's, he gets it all covered, and he says, that's going to take a little while for that to dry. Yeah. And so we go sit down. So we grab, it's about noon, so we grab some our cooler. We had packed up some sandwiches that day. And I assumed they were Muslim boys. I, I was pretty sure of that. And we had made ham sandwiches that day. So I said to the guys, I said, well, we're going to offer to share our lunch with these guys. And they're out there, you know, just whatever they can find to eat. But I said, it's ham. And I don't know. So I said, I'm just going to tell him that it's pork and see what he says, you know. So I said to, to the young guy, I said, uh, we, we, we will share our lunch with you. But I said, I'm sorry to tell you that it's pork. He says, oh, he said, it's your pork. He says, that's okay. Well, we can eat your pork. It's your pork, not our pork. <laughs> so that was great, but it was just sort of a, an opener for us, you know. So we just sat down and shared the lunch together. It was pretty amazing. We just had these long, you know, French baguette things cut in half with slices of, of ham inside. We sit down, we eat those, and we're waiting for the, and, and uh, Mbui is the guy's name, the older guy. And he keeps going back over to the truck to check, and it's still tacky, you know. He says, no, nah, it's still soft. So pretty soon the young guys, uh, we were, the us guys, we were out goofing off and throwing rocks and stuff and see who could throw the rocks the farthest. We just we had some time to kill. It wasn't much shade. And uh, so one of these young guys says to our translator, who's a Yalunka man, who speaks French, and he was the guy we were taking with us to do our translating in the villages. And uh, so one of the young guys says, um, what are, ask Samba, our, our translator, he says, what are these four white guys doing out here in the middle of nowhere? And so Samba says to me, says, Stevie says, you know, he just repeats it to me, he says, can I tell him? I said, absolutely tell him. So he starts telling them why we're out there. And Bui, the older guy, the chauffeur, he comes over and he says, I heard you talk. Did I hear you talk about Jesus? And he says, yeah. And he says, uh, he says, I know about Jesus. And so Samba's translating this for me. And Samba says, what do you know about Jesus? And he says, well, he says, I come from another village a long ways off. And he told us where it was. And I knew where it was because it was up by the, the big water dam up on top of the uh, big reservoir, a big hydro plant the Germans put in. And he said, I'm from that village up there. And he said, one of my uncles got put in prison, falsely accused and put in prison. And they would give us, we, we talked, we did everything we possibly could. We were without hope of getting him out of prison. And uh, the judge wouldn't listen to us, wouldn't hear from us. And the judge wasn't even from our own town. So he didn't know us. And, but all he knew was these, these charges that were put against him and the money behind the charges. So he said, we had no hope. And he said, there was a missionary that came through our, our town. And he stayed with us. He needed a place to stay, and he stayed at, with, in our house. And we were telling him about, because we were all frustrated, and we were telling him the story. And he says, well, tomorrow as I'm leaving, I'll go to the prison, and I'll ask them if I can go in and pray with this man and give him some, some encouragement. And so that, day, that next day he did. And the, uh, the missionary went to the prison and prayed with the man, shared with him, and prayed with him and left. The next day, the, the circuit judge came through the town and he called the family to come to the prison. And they came to the prison and he said, this judge knows nothing about what happened the day before. And he says, I have been, he says, I am just convinced that this, these tr- uh, charges against this man are false. And he says, I have no reason to hold him anymore. Take your man and, and take him home. And they turned him loose. Now, Mbui is saying, telling us this. 
about that's how he heard of Jesus, but he didn't know anything else about Jesus. So he said, I want to hear about Jesus. He sits down on his haunches in front of Samba and he says, tell me about this. And so Samba gives him the whole story from creation to Christ, how God created. It took 45 minutes he's standing there explaining. And by the way, these aren't even Yalunka guys. These are Malinki guys. And the, and the uh, uh, Samba also spe- he speaks eight languages. And so he's speaking Malinki to, the, to these guys. And he's telling him in his own language the whole story. And when he finishes the story after that God sent Jesus to die for us, to take our sins, that he could take our sins on him if we accept him. And the boy says, I want Jesus in my life. And <laughs> that's, uh, that just is, uh, you know, I can't tell that story because I was there and I saw that. In fact, Pastor Mike, our pastor, was one of the guys on that trip. And he says, people, when he came back that next Sunday after we got back to Fort Wayne, he's sharing with our congregation. He says, you guys, he says, the conviction of the Holy Spirit looks exactly the same in every language. He said we were sitting there watching the conviction of Mbui, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit come over him when he says, will you pray for me? And so we, I said to Samba, I said, before we pray for him, explain to him what's going to happen if he becomes a Christ follower. That he, ha- that he has to give up Islam and he has to give up animism, that he no longer needs that, that he will be praying now to God himself through the, through the Holy Spirit. And I said, explain to him about the Holy Spirit and how that works. Explain to him that when his kids get sick or his wife gets sick, he doesn't need to go to the witch doctor anymore. He prays directly to God that he has an avenue, a connection with God himself. And so Samba, and Samba was a Christ follower, great guy. And he understands that. So he spends another 45 minutes explaining to him about getting rid of his fetishes, getting burning, burning all, all his witchcraft stuff and everything, and about how prayer works and how he can depend on God. And he asked him, he said, is there any other believers that you can get connected with in your village? And he said, yes. He said, over in another village, there's an Assemblies of God mission work over there. And he said, there's a church over there. He says, I can go over there and get connected. So we encouraged him to do that. We talked to him about when he goes home to tell his wife about this and to share this with her and to help her also become a Christ follower. He says, I, I'm going to tell my whole family. He said, I want my whole family to get, to become Christ followers and to learn. He says, they're all going to want, they all witnessed this thing when, when my uncle got released from prison. He says, they're all going to want to know about this. So we prayed with Mbui and Mbui became, and we thought we were lost. And we thought we had a broken truck, and God fixed it. And we drove the rest of that trip all the way back to Bamako with that Permatex on that fuel pump. <laughs> That's just one story, yeah. <laughs> just one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, we do have time limitations today because we have a second service later on. But this one, one other thing I wanted to share, I want you to sh- just to give, you know... And that was just on the trip, on the journey to where you were going. That wasn't even when you got there. But you were sharing last night about when you got there, the thing thing there in, in, is to go to the chief of the village and to get his permission to be able to speak, uh, to be able to tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and how that, this is, once again, a country that's Muslim, okay, and animistic in, in regard to their, their beliefs. But how that, you went to that one village and you were sharing about with the with the. Uh, with the uh, the chief, and he pulled his elders in. I understand yeah. that night at a late night meeting, something they don't normally do, and they all sit around and vote 
whether they will allow, allow uh, the Christian uh, influence in their community. And so they voted that night and said yes. Every and one opens, of them. Every, every one, one of them. Voted one by one. One by one. And they gave their reason why they wanted us to come and teach the Word of God. In fact, that first vi- village was, was half Malinke and half Yalunka. And they had a Yalunka chief. That was sort of an incredible thing that we didn't even know where we were still lost and trying to find Thalia. And we had stopped in this village to get some super glue to try to have a backup fix for the, for the uh, fuel pump. And, but this chief said that I told God years ago that if a missionary ever came through our town, that we would embrace him, we would love him, and we would, we would uh, listen to what he had to share with us. And, but he said, that's only my response. He said, all my elders of this town, he said, we're half Malinke, half Yalunka. And he says, all the elders of, of our town have to be able to, to invite you. And so when we sat down then, he called them all together that night in his late night meeting. But every one of them went around, 17 of them, and they all voted yes. And they gave their reason why. And, you know, one of them said, our town is, has been through history, half Malinke, half half uh, Yalunka, and he said, it's only God's word that will bring peace to our, to our village. And here's another, I'll say real quick, one of the elders, the next to last elder to, sh- to vote, he said, I'm a Christ follower. I'm on the Jesus road already. And we just about, I said, I asked Samba when he translated, I said, are you sure that's what he said? And he asked him again, and he said, yes. And I said, how does he know about Jesus? He said, he was traveling in another area, and he went through a, a, a city, and he heard the message of Jesus Christ. He heard it preached, went to a church service, heard it preached, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. But he says, I came back to my village, and I don't know how to tell the other people of my village how to become Christ followers. I don't know how to live on the Jesus road. I don't know what difference it makes. He says, I don't know how to be that. And he said, I want every one of our elders to have the opportunity to become, he said, to get on the Jesus road. We just sat there dumbfounded, you know. Wow, they're waiting for us to come. And and one of the chiefs said, if you'll come and teach us God's word, we'll give you all our resources. And when he said that in his culture, in his context, he was saying, we will give you all our children to teach. One of the chiefs told us, he says, I do not want another generation of children to grow up in our village without knowing God's word. Come and teach us. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, it is. And uh, this is far away in a place uh, where in America we have opportunities all the time. And uh, here in a place far away, we have the opportunity to uh, reach a, a whole culture. And that God's opened opened the door there, wide open right now, it sounds right. like. And it's just, just a couple of stories. We could be here for hours telling stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of them. It's just incredible. Um, Steve, as, as we kind of we wrap up here, the last couple of minutes, um, before we bring the band back out, what what do we as a church, how can we uh, get involved? And if we decide this is the direction we want to go, what are some steps that we can take and how can we begin to think about this? Well, the main thing I want to do today in introducing this is just to encourage you to pray specifically about the Yalunka, but pray about everywhere, wherever it is that God wants you. And I just want to encourage every FEC church to consider that if you focus your mission's efforts, if you get a focus, and I'm not saying you don't do lots of other opportunities and things that come your way, but I'm saying have a main kind of a focus, just like the Basque, that's a great focus. Because you will be able to look back in a few years from now and say, 
look what God has done with our efforts. You know, he's taken what we had to offer and he's used it. And we get to be a part of this bigger thing, you know. And so even with the Yolanka, it's it's an opportunity for us to be involved, whoever wants to be a part of that, because it's way bigger than we are, you guys. If we, if we could do it ourselves, God wouldn't need us, you know, or we, and we wouldn't need God. To, it's, 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 big, it's God thing. It's not us. And so we get the opportunity to be a part of that. Someday we'll get to look back and say, wow, look what God did, you know, with this. Our strategy is to, take, to get a team together who's going to go and live in Mali and we'll take trips and we're going to use a storing method. This is an oral culture. They're primary oral learners. They're people who, all their traditions, even the stories of the flood and Abraham, the, in the way they understand it, are stories that have been passed down, obviously, for many generations, been passed down. They, it's not a written language. They don't read and write. And so we will story the Bible from the beginning very accurately and carefully, tell the stories of the Bible all the way from creation to Christ and the Holy Spirit and, and all that, we'll, we will give that to them and teach them. And as God develops that in them, we're going to do more than just teach them the stories. This is such an important piece of this. You have to understand, we're going to teach them to tell the stories. We're not just going to make disciples. We want to make disciple makers. And that's what we're looking for is to raise up. We're praying that God raise up a team to go there who will say, I need to be a part of this. God is calling me to be a part of this. And I will go and live with my family, with, you know, single people, whatever it takes. I will go and live there and be a part of, of sharing the gospel stories with the Yolanka. And we will, and we go there for the purpose of teaching them these stories, teaching them how to tell the stories and having them and going with them until they learn how to tell the stories and have them retell the stories in other villages. And then we tell the next story and do the same thing. And then we tell the next. So we build a relationship with them that will be over a period of years that we will continue to. There's 245 stories so far at this point. Bible stories from the beginning to the end. And we will tell those stories, but we'll teach them one at a time and teach them to tell the story so that we're making disciple makers. Yeah. And God's already raising up, I understand, a a team, a core of a team, uh, Troy and Jerry Masters. Our, our first family, yeah. First family that's made a commitment to go over there. There's another couple of folks that's going to be... I have some information on the table yeah. out, just outside the doors. And Troy and Jerry's uh, prayer cards, they're just starting to go to visit churches and raise support uh, to go there. They're going to go and live there with their daughters. And uh, so you can pick up their information out there. There's an introduction letter. There's also some of my stories and some articles out there. Okay. Well, that gives us an understanding of this. And this today was just to introduce you to this and begin to pray about what is, uh, what is, uh, pray for the Yolanka, regardless of what, what we decide as a church to do. But we're, uh, looking at this as an opportunity. Uh, there may be an opportunity for myself or maybe another person to go and actually visit that at some time after January of this year, um, and to see what's going on full term and, and, and also to look at some opportunities there as well. And I really appreciate Steve, you coming and sharing with us today. I know that it's a little frustrating because you, you have all these stories and, uh, you could take hours to share, but God is just working in miraculous ways. And so I want to really thank you for coming and, and, and sharing with us thank today. You what God's doing. Let me just pray for, okay. for, for us before we have the band come out and yeah. uh, close, close this morning, okay? Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.